So the challenges that we face are reminders that we need someone else involved, and of course I'm biased in this way, in that that other one is the one who designed marriage. So when you build a relationship upon principles of God, you have a better opportunity to discover the things that will help you move toward those experiences of blessing and of encouragement, of, a, of enhancement, of the things that you had in mind when you were dating and courting each other uh, on your journey of marriage. So the snags of life, the challenges, the difficulties, the frustrations, the disappointments, those are the things that uh, remind us to look beyond. If you only look within yourselves and think, we have all that it takes to develop a strong marriage, you're going to miss out. Uh, I guess every once in a while you might find somebody who has enough wisdom and intelligence and experience within themselves that they don't need to look outward. But I will tell you, just go to a library and look at books on marriage relationship. You will see thousands. You can go on the internet and see thousands of blogs and entries on helping marriages develop. Every church that I know of will have classes or seminars or retreats to try to help couples. Why? Because we need all the help we can get. Marriage is a blessing, but we need help. So that's what we hope this class has been doing to help you along your journey of marriage. So let me read just a couple of announcements. Then we'll have a scripture, prayer, and then we'll move on to our topic this morning. Family news. Tonight is senior night. Uh, all are invited to the sanctuary at 6 p.m. to celebrate our graduating high school seniors, of which we have 39 seniors this year. If you wish to write graduates notes of congratulations and encouragement, envelopes will be in the gathering room this morning. Some concerns. Jackie Brown, mother of Jay Brown, one of our shepherds, is in the final stages of cancer. Uh, he anticipates that probably within the next week or two she will transition into eternity. Judy Flatt, Pat Ward's sister, passed away last Sunday afternoon after a brief battle with cancer and services were held this past week. Russ Carney, another one of our shepherds, his stepmother, Dean Carney, passed away on May 1st. We'll remember these folks uh, in our prayer. So let me read a couple of passages out of 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and chapter 7. There aren't a lot of verses directed, our topic today, by the way, is healthy sexuality. And there aren't a lot of verses within Scripture to help us in real specific ways. So a lot of that is exploration, experimentation, learning from others, uh, learning from ourselves. Uh, can be an exciting adventure, but also very frustrating, and we'll talk about that today. But here are some passages, some verses, that Christians often turn to to help provide some guidance. I'll be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning with verse 12, reading on into chapter 7 in the first few verses. The Apostle Paul writes, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are beneficial. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is meant not for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will raise us by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Should I therefore take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that whoever is united to a prostitute becomes one body with her? 
For it is said, the two shall be one flesh, but anyone united to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Shun fornication. Every sin that a person commits is outside the body, but the fornicator sins against the body itself. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, which you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Chapter 7. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote. Apparently, there were members of the church in Corinth who had some curiosity about the sexual relationship. So he writes, it is well for a man not to touch a woman. Uh, I'm not quite there. Never have been. So I wrestle with that. What does it mean? It's well for a man not to touch a woman. But because of cases of sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a set time to devote yourselves to prayer and then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So those are the verses that are often referred to in trying to help us figure out how, how, do we, how do we discover what it is that's beneficial for us as Christian people in a Christian marriage, uh, in people devoted to Jesus Christ, and discover the fullness and blessing of sexuality. So hopefully uh, by the end of class today you'll have a better idea. Let's uh, go to our Father in prayer. Holy Father, thank you for your presence today. We do look to you as the one who can provide us with guidance and understanding. Because sexuality sometimes can create such uh, difficulties uh, within marriage. Because we come together with different ideas and thoughts about sexuality. Help us to have clarity about who you're calling us to be as your children. And help us to pay attention to your wisdom that emerges through the Holy Spirit and through Scripture. Help us to understand the importance of respect and love and devotion and humility and kindness. Help us to hold on to the values that will help build and strengthen marriage and help us to move away from those things that will detract from and harm our marriage journey. Thank you for everyone here. Father, thank you for Jesus. Bless those people that we named earlier as they grieve, uh, as they uh, experience family members who are moving uh, toward uh, eternity. Surround them with your peace. In Jesus I pray. Amen. So I am going to uh, address uh, marks of healthy sexuality today. And uh, I would love for you, if you have questions today, that I can provide some guidance. I don't know if we'll have a lot of opportunity to have uh, back and forth uh, questions and so forth. I also find that with uh, sexuality, many people don't raise their hands and ask questions because of its rather private nature. Uh, it's uh, unique to each couple. Uh, there's no one right angle on human sexuality. God provides us with an opportunity to explore and enhance and experience uh, sexuality in its fullness. And we all want that. We all desire that. But wow, do we get ourselves into some challenges at times. So for me to stay on target this morning, 
I am going to stay pretty close to my script so we can get through because I'm inclined otherwise to go off onto little uh, pathways that may uh, take us longer than I want this morning. So I'm going to give you, uh, ultimately, by the end of our class today, six ways that you can process where you are on your journey of marriage, of human sexual, or of uh, healthy sexuality. And by the way, I will say that I took uh, some thoughts from uh, ForTheFamily.org, uh, Patrick uh, Schwenk and his wife uh, do some writings and investigations on family development, so some of my remarks are uh, based upon some things that he's done on his website. As a therapist, it's not uncommon for couples to bring their frustrations regarding sexual intimacy into the counseling office. Sometimes it's differing levels of sexual desire, and that's very common. You may think that it is the man who has the higher sexual desire than the woman, but that, of course, is not the case. Uh, over the past 35 years in my practice, uh, I would not say it's been 50-50, but it hasn't been 100% male and 0% for female. A lot of uh, wives have been very frustrated that their husbands have lost interest uh, and perhaps pursued uh, other uh, ways to, to avert sexual involvement. Sometimes the sexual issues are related to what is not appropriate in the bedroom. Sometimes spouses want to explore and live out fantasy while others are interested in staying with what has been acceptable and pleasurable in the past for the two of them. So in some ways, you're on the journey of discovering what is it that the two of us can help create within our marriage experience. Uh, it's probably not best to interview lots of friends. It's probably best to avoid like red book surveys uh, and things like that uh, be because it really does distort the journey that the two of you are on. It's really best that you stay on target with discovering and determining what is it that is best for the two of us. Keep it within the relationship. That doesn't mean that you can't talk about things outside, but I would suggest that you talk with someone who has some experience, like a therapist, as opposed to just friends, neighbors, and other kinds of surveys out there. What I've learned, and I think most therapists recognize this, this, is that the four poisonous patterns often emerge with a couple's conversation. Uh, I do not know. We might check with Eric or Carrie, and we can check on that later. Um, the four poisonous patterns, we have addressed these uh, from early on. I won't go into much detail, but simply they are criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling. Those four poisonous patterns are likely to emerge anytime there's a difference and you don't feel like you're getting any movement with that difference. What happens is if we feel unheard and not validated, we tend to then project. We start criticizing our partner, we start blaming them or name calling, we show contempt to our partner. Then uh, with that contempt and criticism, we feel like our best bet is to put up a wall of defensiveness and then eventually just shut down. Those four qualities really do bring a close to searching for ways beyond the struggle. Those are tools you want to move away from. 
and you want to create opportunity for conversation that doesn't rely upon criticism. So how do you do that? Quite simply, stay within your own experience. This is what I'm feeling right now. I'm feeling a little disconnected and I don't like that feeling. The moment that you pull your concerns more on yourself and not project them on someone else, your conversation will go forward. Because now, how can you argue with the way someone else is feeling? Unless you use you. I feel like you don't care. I feel like you don't understand. That's just another way of saying criticism. But when you say, I'm feeling less comfortable with what we're experiencing right now, and I want to feel more comfortable. I want to feel more open. I want to feel more trans, be more transparent with you. Let's find a way to do that. The other person then, if they can ask questions, that we, that's what we talked about a couple weeks ago. I won't go into too much of that because we've been spending a lot of time this semester talking about principles that will help build healthy, effective communication. And you can go back and listen to some of the, the recordings or even read some of the emails that I've given summaries to. Bottom line, the more you can talk lovingly and respectfully about the differences that you both encounter, especially in sexuality, the further along you will get on your journey of healthy sexuality. So why the challenges? We both desire to engage in healthy sex, but here's the challenge. You bring a lot of differences into marriage. You both bring different genders with different bodily functions into the experience. You both have learned different stories about your body image and different stories about sexuality from people, from friends, and from things that you've investigated. Your personalities are also different. Even though your personality is kind of based in who you've become, it can either enhance or detract from the sexual experience. But you've also had sexual experiences within your journey toward marriage. Those things all can enhance or detract. For example, sexual abuse is going to probably create more challenges in the marriage journey. One who has relied excessively upon self-pleasure is probably going to have some difficulties as they transition to marriage. Those who rely heavily upon pornography prior to marriage are going to have some difficulties associated with in trying to establish healthy sexuality. Why? Because of what's happening within the mind. All of those things are at play in learning about healthy sexuality. Exploration and, and moving into the depths of pornography, we know that uh, research has shown how devastating this can be toward developing healthy sexuality. But also we bring expectations into marriage, different expectations. You may have talked about them in general, you may not have talked about them specifically. For example, here are some common uh, expectations that will ultimately end up in frustrations and disappointment. For example, I can remember this. When we get married, we can have sex whenever and wherever we want. Makes sense, right? Who would disagree with that? That's an expectation. What happens when the, then the husband, in this case, has that idea in mind? It's like I'm doing that separate and apart from listening to Nadine, my wife. It's kind of like I'm creating a whole nother world of expectation. Why? Because 
Secondly, I might assume that we both have identical sexual expectations because we both talked about we can't wait until we're alone and married and just be able to have freedom to explore and express our love for each other. But we may be going down very different journeys in those ex expectations. Or it'll be so nice to fall asleep in each other's arms every night. What a nice romantic thought. Oh, that just never worked. But it happens in the movies. Everybody who has sex, they're in each other's arms and they fall asleep. And I'm going, neither one of them got up. Don't they have to, like, clean up? I don't get it. That's the fantasy part. I look forward to seeing her in a different sexy nightgown every night. I just knew that's what she wanted to present to me every night. <laughs> it never happened every night. <laughs> it happens occasionally. I look forward to long hugs and kisses every day just because. See, I always had a different idea during a hug and a kiss than what Nadine had. You see, we have to talk about it. We both have the same interest in sexuality. We want it to grow stronger each day. Those are expectations, and there's a host of expectations as people journey toward the time of the wedding day and then as they anticipate what will marriage look like compared to what we've experienced. And we think that it will be complete healing and curing of all the things that we've had in the past. Not so. What are the marks of a healthy sexual relationship? First, sexuality is both very personal and very relational. And both of those things are in operation at the same time. Very personal and very relational. Not very personal or very relational. It's both and. It may not be helpful to ask what is most pleasurable or most exciting for married couples because meaningful lovemaking is so much more than creating greater sexual arousal and climaxes. A better question is to ask what are the markers of a wholesome sexual experience that is accomplishing our hopes, dreams, and desires and that are in alignment with God's relational intent. In my view, healthy sexuality protects happy pleasure. In other words, it promotes the very thing that people have in mind when they think about the best sexual encounter. It doesn't threaten it. I've met with wives and husbands over the years who've been so frustrated with their marital sexuality that they started processing, compromising, their faith and their values because they realized after getting married their expectations were not being met. I've heard spouses say, not usually in the room with the other one, sometimes I just feel like I ought to go see a prostitute because my wife doesn't care hoots about having sex with me. And she tells me. She's not interested. She has a headache. The kids are too, and she's too involved with them. It's kind of like it's been weeks or months. So wouldn't that make sense? No. In case you were wondering. But you see how you can begin to almost make it right in your own minds. Well, he's not available. He doesn't care. Why shouldn't I read romance novels that at least get me into a world of fantasy that allows me to experience and explore things in my mind? I'm not really going out on my husband, but he's not providing any romance. Why can't I get it this way? It seems right. And I'm not suggesting that those books are necessarily wrong, although I can't see, if you'd like to convince me, how they can enhance, I would like to hear that. 
because they have a tendency to create fantasy over reality and then prevent you from being able to have conversation to find the relationship that you both desire. You see, either one, pornography, romance, those kinds of things, they're a, they're a, a hindrance to what it is that most couples hope to achieve within the marriage journey. So what does it look like? First of all, healthy sexual relationship is a fair, good, wise, and holy pursuit. These are the six markers. First one. Oh, that's the question. Number one. In God's design, sex is always relational. Any sexual experience divorced from relational connecting isn't healthy sex. Hear that again. Any sexual experience divorced from relational connecting isn't healthy sex. Pornography, voyeurism, predatory touching, any form of paying for sex, exhibitionism, group sex, anonymous sex, objectifying marital sex, all have the same common denominator. It is merely sex divorced from relational connecting. Most forms of sexual deviancy include a separation between sex and emotional connection. So you can ask yourselves, wow, am I choosing something that is a separate journey? Like, I wouldn't want my partner to know about it, but I don't think it's harmful. I'm able to manage it. I just don't want them to know. Well, I would raise the question. What you don't want them to know means you're keeping them out of that and participating in helping you to find what it is you ultimately hope to achieve. So anytime you're trying to do it separate and apart from, it raises a question about the healthy sexual experience you hope to achieve. In scripture, sex and physical intimacy is intended to draw a husband and wife closer together, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. After the physical intimacy is over, they smile, they hold each other, they hold on to a very pleasant shared memory, their bond is deepened emotionally and accordingly, why? Unhealthy sex isolates a person. Healthy sex deepens relationship. They wake up from sexual... These people who are isolating themselves wake up from the sexual experience feeling less capable of authentic intimacy. And they may hide their true feelings of what just happened instead of remembering it fondly with a special someone. Sometimes when we begin isolating ourselves from our partner we're actually creating a, a new sexual experience that's keeping them in the dark. We're not promoting the relational component. That's why it's valuable to test yourself through this journey, anything you choose, even a private thought. For example, in the office, you see someone who is physically attractive. You've been in a conversation with them and their personality is pretty interesting and you like it and you can learn from them. You just have to be careful. We're going to talk about boundaries next week, but you really do need to be careful about what you're giving yourself permission to do. Because would you talk with your partner about that attractive and interesting co-worker? If so, okay. As long as you're keeping each other in the know, that is working toward healthy sexuality. Healthy sex says to each willing partner, you matter. You are desired. You are cherished. I'm not having sex with a body. I'm making love to you with my body, mind, and spirit. 
and I affirm you and want to please you. That's how we enter into marriage. I think everybody here probably would said, that's what we had in mind when we said I do. It's just been challenging and perhaps slower than we wanted to discover that consistently and regularly over a long period of time. Be wary of any form of sexual excitement or fulfillment that is separate from inappropriate relational connection. If it's not drawing you closer together, I suggest that it may not be very healthy. Second marker. Sex in God's design supports a relationship rather than being the relationship. Healthy sex serves a relationship. Unhealthy sex becomes the relationship, which is asking way too much of sex. Sex should be an expression of what is, not a way to momentarily and artificially create what you hope to be true. Our culture tries to make sex the pathway to intimacy. Watch a television show, watch a current movie that doesn't have a faith perspective. It's almost always about, are we connecting physically? Is there physical chemistry? Is there physical connection? Are we really engaged in a way that we both bring about full satisfaction to each other? And then the next morning, they get up and they get dressed and they go their separate ways. And they might check that off. Wow, that was a really fulfilling, amazing sexual encounter. Maybe we'll hook up again. That's kind of the messaging in general in our culture. We have to fight that. We really do. Because otherwise, we start leaning into that by the movies we watch, the books we read. We just start leaning into that like maybe that does make sense. Maybe it is more about sexuality. And if I'm not satisfied sexually, then maybe there's something wrong with my marriage. Wow, that is the culture. Because marriage, for the most part, in our culture, is reaching a point of being throwaway status. If it's not really meeting your needs, pitch it. Because there's someone else out there who's probably more connected to you. You just have to go on a search for it. Well, that's a dangerous thought. Sex should be an expression of what is, not a way to momentarily and artificially create what you hope to be true. By nature, sex can last only so long and be performed only so often, and sexual chemistry eventually slows down. That's the reality. It doesn't mean that two 75-year-olds can't have a very romantic sexual encounter. If they have been doing that for 55-plus years, chances are it's going to be pretty amazing for them. But it probably won't be as frequent as 35-year-old couples. It probably won't be as, uh, shall I say, physically engaging because 75-year-olds may not be able to engage at that level. They don't have the physical energy. And I'm not speaking from personal experience yet. In case you were wondering, is he 75? No, not yet. Sexual desire alone simply cannot sustain a lifelong marriage. But an intimate, sacred marriage can sustain a tremendous, lifelong sex life. That is true.
When sex becomes the relationship, it's like trying to support a 50-story hotel on a foundation made of toothpicks. You build a healthy sexual relationship by building a healthy marriage on all levels, emotionally, spiritually, intellectually, and relationally. To be spiritually mature and sexually mature, you need to be relationally mature. Mature marriage is on a three-legged stool of spiritual, relational, and sexual maturity. <clears throat> Dr. Mitch Whitman points out that the absence of healthy sexuality sometimes increases the hurt and angry spouse's focus on sex almost to an obsession so that it becomes practically the only thing that matters to the frustrated spouse. If one spouse says, the rest of our relationship is so strong, you shouldn't need sex, that's tantamount to the other person saying, our sex life is so good, you shouldn't need anything besides sex. In other words, we can fall off the rails on either side of the equation, asking sex to do too much or not taking advantage of its power at all. It's best to pursue a healthy balance in what each other desires for physical intimacy. Sometimes it can be quick and spontaneous, while other times it can be slow and planned for. There will always be value in keeping the conversation going and finding time just to be alone with each other to build romance. I've made this comment often, especially with families who have young children who are involved in a host of activities. It's very, very challenging to find that time. You have to put it on the calendar. You have to make it a priority to say, we need some time. Let's carve out some time. You have to take responsibility for carving out the time. If you think, well, sex ought to just be natural and just ought to be spontaneous. It ought to just happen because two people love each other. Come down to earth. It requires some intentionality. If either of you think that by not talking about your sexuality will help the desires go away, or that romance is better to just wait and allow it to happen naturally, you are deeply mistaken and ensuring that sexual challenges will arise in your marriage. Keep in mind, sexuality is God's design, not the world's. Keep Him involved and keep Him in the middle. I can remember some times when sexuality was most challenging for Nadine and me. And if we could pause and invite God into the journey of frustration, it helped us slow down our own individual desires because He was working with us and walking with us and trying to figure out how do we get over this difficult time. It just happens. And you have to find a way. I just propose keep God in the middle of that journey. As long as you can pray together, it keeps the conversation going. Three. God's design for healthy sexuality confronts rather than perpetuates sexual brokenness. Many of us enter into marriage as sexually broken people. We may even think marriage will cure our sexual brokenness, but problems re-arise when we want to express our sexual brokenness as part of our marriage. Beware of coercive marital sex. I've had clients where one spouse will use their partner to serve a sexual addiction. Let's watch pornography together. Let's swap partners. Sometimes a partner will use sex to deaden their own pain, anesthetizing themselves and thus putting an inordinate physical demands on their partners. People who insist on daily sex may be using their spouse to fight back an addiction 
or an intimacy problem rather than cherishing and affirming their partners by giving pleasure. In our culture, there's a common notion that all desires must be legitimate. They must all be equally respected, equally tolerated, and even indulged. But that's not helpful. That keeps out the personal side. It's possible to desire something that is harmful. You can eat yourself sick, you can spend your way to bankruptcy, and you can sex your way to disaster. So no, it's not best to indulge every in every one of your spouse's desires. There needs to be thoughtful consideration on what it is that is being asked of because both have an opportunity to participate in the decision. It's never one-sided. I'm going off path for a moment. The passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, it almost sounds like, oh, but doesn't God give the male or female the right to ask of his partner's body since it does not belong to them? Be very careful about using that. That may have been a common thought years ago. I don't think it's helpful because the body is yours. But if you want to think about it, I think about my body as I want to give myself to my partner. And I want to be tender and sensitive to what it is that she desires. I think that's more in line with what the Christian journey is about. Rather than that I have the right over her body. You get what I'm saying? I really don't have the right over her own body. And if you think that's what the verse means, let's talk about it. We'll get into the Greek. Because I think I respect her right. I want to listen and pay attention to how she wishes to give herself to me. That's more Christ-like in humility. Healthy sex is mutually affirming all aspects of spirituality, emotional, and physical. Dr. Douglas Rosenau stresses that a poor body image, sexual shame, repression of healthy sexuality, and sexual immaturity are also aspects of sexual brokenness. Not wanting to do something that is holy can also be evidence of brokenness as wanting to do something that is wrong. Sex outside of God's lines is like a snowball. If sexual coercion, obsession, immaturity is allowed to roll, it only gets bigger, not more manageable. By giving in to your spouse's unhealthy urges, you're not managing anything. You're creating a snowball that may bury you, your marriage, and your family. The sooner the snowball is stopped from rolling, the better the chance to attain sexual health. One of the most common ways to let marriage perpetuate sexual brokenness is by being non-sexual. Instead of challenging deep-seated feelings that sex is nasty, you may expect your partner to develop and share an aversion to sex rather than developing a mutually satisfying sexual relationship. If you allow past sexual abuse or faulty thinking to undercut or even annihilate sexual activity in your marriage, you may be perpetuating the brokenness, not confronting it. In such instances, it might be time to talk to an experienced professional therapist who has dealt with the issue. Few people can get over that level of brokenness on their own because it is so deeply entrenched. And you don't have to be ashamed of it, especially if you were taken advantage of as a child or if you were entering <coughs> into some of those broken ways early on when you didn't really have the emotional and mental capabilities of processing it. And we often do. I was introduced to pornography as a fifth grader. Oh, it just blew me away. 
Uh, and you know what? It caught my attention. And I wanted to see more. It just happened. But you have to deal with it or it's going to begin interfering. I'm going to rely more on that than I am upon God's design for sexuality. When the marital sexual relationship reveals an ongoing weakness that a change of mind simply cannot heal, it's time to seek health. Moving along. Number four. Healthy sexuality is about mutually shared pleasure. Perverse sexuality is about numbing the pain with selfish indulgence. Sex was created by God to produce offspring and renew intimacy between a husband and a wife. It offers a very pleasurable moment for the husband and wife, helping them to cope with and giving them a vacation from mundane or difficult duties in life. I like that vacation idea because I hear people say, I don't know what it is. We go on vacation and we have like amazing sex. So go on vacation more often. Carve out an hour. Go on vacation. You can do it. If you need help, let me know. I'll be glad to give you some ideas. It offers a very pleasurable moment for the husband and wife, helping them to cope with... Oh, I already said that. It is also comforting and naturally reduces anxiety. You may be able to give up your anti-anxiety medication, perhaps, if you increase your level of sexuality. I'm just saying... There are also wonderful byproducts of healthy marital sexuality. Unhealthy sex seeks to numb pain rather than serve your partner with true pleasure. Instead of enhancing the present life of your spouse, unhealthy sex tries to escape your past life or selfishly use your mate's body for personal and ultimately unfulfilling sexual gratification. Patrick Carnes, about 20 years ago, wrote a book called Don't Call It Love, describes as almost pathological the kind of activity that Fifty Shades of Great trilogy and movies have tried to destigmatize. Carnes warns against the use of pain to escalate sexual excitement. Chains, whips, sadomasochistic games, self-torture, self-strangulation, how can these be pleasurable? The answer is that often they are not, but the associated emotions of fear, risk, danger, and rage are very mood-altering. We can make fun of people who are into pain, uh, by portraying sex in M roles uh, often as humorous exaggerations, and you've seen it in movies. Grim reality exists that we are in a cultural denial attempt to avoid and deflect with humor these things that can become very dangerous in a healthy sexual pursuit. For most of us, the combination of pain and sex is objectionable as violent. Is as objectionable as violence. Our culture no longer laughs as, at, at SM, nor does it make it seem offensive. Instead, the agenda seems to tell us that we are missing out on something if we're not practicing it. I emphasize the phrase very mood altering because that's a marker of unhealthy sex. Using it like a drug as opposed to an expression of a relationship, well, it's not even pleasurable. It just puts us in a trance. Healthy sex affirms lasting pleasure. Its focus isn't to feel less of something negative, but to experience more and help our spouse experience more of something beautiful and positive. Our Christian culture historically has promoted a husband's selfishness, this is what I said earlier, by stressing the wife's duty to serve her husband sexually rather than discussing how together a couple can create the mutually shared pleasure of a healthy sex life. Though there is still brokenness in our culture and in our churches, there does seem to be a shift toward Perspective on sexuality being a mutual expression of love that we can each contribute to. Number five, healthy sexuality is based on truth. <laughs> Following Jesus as marriage partners is about authenticity, reality, truth, and being connected to a real person while giving real pleasure. 
The world keeps promoting sex that is all about artificiality, fantasy, deceit, and escaping from reality. Looking over your shoulder, lying, afraid of being caught, not wanting anyone to find out. These are all markers of sex that is based on manipulation and deception. No married couple need be ashamed if others think they are being sexual. Nor do they have to pretend they are something or something else in order to desire and please each other. Now, I'm not suggesting all forms of fantasy within marriage are wrong. I think it can enhance marriage. Just that the sexual experience should serve a real couple in a real relationship who know each other and value each other and are truly present for each other. That's where fantasy can serve as a benefit. To mentally imagine yourself making love to someone else while your spouse thinks you're focused on them is one of the worst forms of fraud imaginable. You're sinning against your spouse even as you are using him or her, and you're sinning against yourself. As you give yourselves, uh, as they give themselves to you, you are taking what's offered to you and handing it over to someone else. Healthy sex isn't just about excitement or reaching a climax. climax. It's about the two of you relating, connecting, knowing, and authentically being there for each other. Of course, finding legitimate ways to enhance pleasure and serve each other is relationship enhancing. Planning something special, being creative, even searching for something new can be a generous act of love. And number six, healthy sexuality affirms your sense of self. In a healthy sexual relationship, you feel that the sexual experience affirms who you are as a spouse, as a parent, raising children together, protecting and serving your families. As a believer in Christ, sex should never feel as if it's asking you to compromise your faith, but rather an expression of your faith. As a person who is cherished and loved in unhealthy sexuality, the sexual experience leaves you feeling empty, alienated, almost like you're role-playing or as an object. You may realize that for any number of reasons, your sexual sense of self has become distorted. Maybe from a hookup culture that promotes porn, a repressive upbringing trying to medicate pain, or hoping sex can create a shortcut to an intimate connection. If sex doesn't affirm who you are, there's a good chance your relationship is moving in a less than healthy experience. Perhaps you feel like you have to be someone you're not to keep your spouse interested or from acting out inappropriately. That's manipulative sex. That's codependent sex. It's not healthy sex. Sex should affirm and reaffirm who you are, your sense of worth, your sense of being valued, and your sense of relationship. A healthy sense of your sexual self will promote both a profound sexual intimacy and an amazing sacred marriage full of deep connecting moments. In closing, one of the ways it does this is to remind us who we are as people on the way to eternity, as wonderful as sex can be, as intoxicating as marital passion can feel, we were made for more than this world. And the fact that something as marvelous and even transcendent as sex doesn't completely fulfill us reminds us that healthy sexuality actually points us toward heaven as our ultimate destination of intimacy with God. It is 1045. <laughs> now... That's a little bit different for me just reading. I hope you were able to pay attention to at least the six points. If you have any questions about this, because I threw a lot at you, I hope that it was meaningful in the sense of as you were taking the test, you could maybe throw out all but one or two. You go, oh, I think I do that. I need to figure out what I need to do about that because I might be denying myself 
and my partner the fullness of who we're both desiring to be. If you need some help with some ideas on getting some professional assistance, I'm glad to provide that for you. Uh, any number of the five therapists that were part of this class uh, can also give you some assistance. Uh, we're here to help you on your journey. Sexuality is such a beautiful, beautiful experience. Uh, it truly is a design by God, and when people embrace it, they discover something amazing. If you're frustrated, it's probably just part of the journey. I mean, I can think of, in my journey, we've been married almost 45 years in June, Nadine. Uh, and I can recall probably about four different phases of life where sexuality was really troubling. I'm the one with the higher sexual desire than Nadine. I don't mind telling you that. It's not uncommon that one person in the marriage has a higher sexual desire, another one has a lower sexual desire. It doesn't mean that the lower sexual desire person doesn't have sexual desire. It just means it's not where their mind is as often as my mind is with the higher sexual desire. But that can also be a conversation as long as I don't put it on her as the responsible one. So I'm glad to talk with you. Nadine and I are glad to talk with you as a couple uh, whatever we can do to help you. Let me close with prayer. Holy Father, thank you for everyone present. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for the beautiful expression of love through sexuality. And I'm grateful for these couples here that have made a commitment to love, honor, and cherish each other for all of their life ahead. And I pray that you bless them on this journey. And when they hit those snags, those hard times, that you will open their eyes together, that they will invite you into the middle of that journey, and that they will together find a way beyond that difficult phase. Because, Father, they're determined to discover the fullness of human sexuality as you have designed it on our way to eternity. In Jesus, I pray. Amen. Next week, uh, I think I'm on, we'll be addressing boundary, appropriate boundary setting in marriage. So, uh, hopefully, I'll see you next week. Many blessings to you uh, the rest of this day.